welcome, Michaela. Thanks for coming back to the My Weightlifting Coach podcast. Thank you for having me. Sure, of course. Uh, can you let us know what's been happening in your life, uh, weightlifting or otherwise? Yeah, it's been uh, pretty busy 2019. We've got a busy 2020 ahead of us as well. So in terms of weightlifting, I've been flat out with training camps. We've been welcoming people from all over the globe who have come in for a residential camp with us. They've lived with us, trained with us, um, and that's been a huge success this year. Uh, we're fully booked already at the start of next year. I think my next availability is in June. So the training camps themselves are flying. And we've got loads of seminars booked in at the moment, predominantly UK-based, um, but there's no saying we won't travel internationally. Um, it's just a case of fitting them in. But other than that, we've got twins on the way, uh, we are expecting. So middle of March, life, I think, is about to change um, and, and become a whole lot more exciting. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. And how long are those camps for when people actually come to your place and train? So we offer two options. Well, there's kind of three options. We offer a three-day camp. They're the most popular and the most frequent. So typically people arrive on a Friday evening about four o'clock. We get to know each other before we train. Um, we, we go through a really comprehensive breakdown of snatch, cleans and jerks. And that gives me an indication of where people are at. Uh, and, and what needs to be worked on. And then we do two further sessions on the Saturday, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and a fourth session on Sunday morning before everyone departs at lunchtime. And as well as the training, we provide food, we provide accommodation. And as I said, we welcome people into our home. And we live on a mountain, so it's nice and peaceful. And it's a bit of a retreat, a chance for people to get away. And... Is it something that people come there and they think they're going to PR or they really understand they're focusing on improving that technique? Uh, you know what, David, I'm done with egos. Uh, I, I, have to, <laughs> I schedule a call with people before they come because quite simply, I don't want egos. I want people that want to uh, learn. I want people who want to progress on a personal level. So whether they are complete beginners, whether they have some experience, whether they've come through a CrossFit background, whether they're national or even international lifters, it doesn't matter. I just want people who want to learn and improve. And we we work a lot on technique, so therefore the weights need to be uh, fairly modest. But there is an opportunity to go up in weight. But I I ask people to stop or I hold them back if the technical changes that we've made start to break down. In my view, there's no point in pushing and going back to bad habits. That completely defeats the object of what these camps are about yeah and that that was such a big theme in your book I mean I was amazed at how much when you you know talked about how you changed coaches you found your your first real coach I guess the first one that really got you going um, and you just did at nothing you know with the, just with the bar basically oh you know it was probably the most frustrating time in my life I, I was number one in the country. I was lifting reasonable weights. And to be told by by Ken, the, the basically the guy who, who changed me technically, that I actually wasn't that good was quite a tough pill to swallow. And he broke me. He, he broke me not just physically, but he broke me mentally as well. But more importantly, then built me back up, I guess, to become the athlete that, that I later became. And I was fed up when I went to see Ken because I wasn't improving. And for me, I'd already had the discussion with myself that something needed to change. And 
Ken was the guy who who decided that we needed to make a lot of technical changes. And for some reason, I had the patience, the the discipline to do everything he said. And I was drilling, drilling, drilling with an empty bar for for weeks, for months. And it was very, very frustrating. But once I got those thousands of repetitions under my belt, pardon the pun, it meant that when I started hmm. to build the weights up, that the technique held together because my body uh, was conditioned to moving in a different way. So when people say to me, they come on, let's say, a training camp or on a seminar, and they they then go back to their training facility um, and they try to, to max out in the first week or so. And quite often they do. And often they, they, they hit new personal bests on my training camps. But what they often don't have is that dedication and the commitment to and discipline to stay light, which I think is what's relevant and, and what's necessary to make the, the changes long term. Yeah, and that, that was something else you touched upon, being a lifelong lifter and the need to really understand the path as a lifelong path. Um, you know, there were a couple things that really struck me um, when I was reading your book. And I think the first thing, the primary thing, which comes out right in the title uh, it's not a fecking pool. Um, you change. You want to change the terminology. It's not a pull, right? You're pressing. The idea of the double knee bend or the triple extension. Um, you really went about deconstructing the way that coaches talk about the lifts. Can you tell me a bit about the title? How did you come to that title? So, it, frustration, I think, more than anything. And let's, let's not get me wrong here. As a younger lifter, I was coached to shrug, to pull, as I would say probably most lifters out there have been. And it wasn't until I went through that period of 18 months plateau where I just wasn't improving. And I went to see Ken and, and Ken was the person who made me really analyze the movement and, and the biomechanics. And it was Ken that taught me that you know, as we come off the floor, we need to have loose arms, relaxed arms, still maintaining the, the tension in the upper back to, to hold posture and position. But that the very first phase of the lift is actually a positive uh, leg drive. Now, for the last goodness knows how many years, I've been delivering seminars and coaching people of, uh, of all ages and abilities. And I no longer refer to the first part of the lift as the first pull. Because when you call it a pull, what do your lifters do? They pull. They, they bend the arms. They have an early arm bend. And they think it's, it's, they've got to lift the, the bar up rather than driving the floor away with the legs. And I remember on one seminar, I, I gave the explanation. And I, I thought I'd explained it okay. But uh, a few minutes later, somebody said, so what about the first pull? And in frustration, I just turned around and went, it's not a fecking pull, <laughs> to which everybody else saw the funny side. And, and then somebody commented, oh, you should write a book and call it, it's not a fecking pull. So that's kind of where, where yeah. it came from. And, you know, I'm not, yeah, some people would say I'm controversial. Some people would say, um, you know, I'm, I'm very straight talking. But for me, I believe and I, I strongly believe that the terminology that is commonly used is responsible for a lot of the technical problems that we see in lifters. And doesn't matter who I speak to, lifters or coaches, when I ask the question, 
So from the thought, what do the arms do? And everybody says, oh, they stay long, they stay loose, they stay relaxed. And then I say, well, how is it affecting pull then? As you yeah, come yeah. off the floor, it's a positive leg drive. It's not affecting pull. And, and that's my view on it. And that's the view I stand by and I'm passionate about. And the more I deliver these seminars, and hopefully now the more people will pick up my book, they'll start to understand that concept and, and see that actually, yes, yeah, it's not a pull. It's a push. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, and the lift is predominantly you're driving through the legs and then you're using the core and the arms are there to sort of just yeah. keep keep a hold of the bar. I say, and you, you talk about the, the second, what I call the second phase of the lift. That's commonly where coaches will, will coach to pull. And if I, if I may just explain why, again, I don't call that part a pull is because if you imagine a lifter who shrugs and pulls, the bar will come to a certain height, around belly button height, and then they start to drop under. But the point where they've hit full extension, they continue to shrug and pull in an attempt to get the bar that bit higher. So at the point when they start to drop and the bar starts to drop, the bar is considerably lower than the shoulders. Compare that to a lifter who relaxes the arms, who explodes powerfully with the legs as the bar passes mid-thigh. As soon as that lifter hits extension, they then start to drop immediately. There's no shrug, there's no pull. But yet the bar will continue to, to what I call float higher and pretty much to about the same level as a lifter who has shrugged and pulled. The difference is when that lifter who has relaxed their arms, who has hit extension and dropped straight away, they will be underneath the bar before the bar changes direction. And that is probably the biggest technical change as a lifter that I made. And that is probably, almost certainly, what has enabled me to go on and become the lifter that I became. For sure, I was the weakest lifter at Europeans, at Worlds, at, 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 uh, at Commonwealth Games, at Olympic Games. I was always the weakest lifter in my category. But what I lacked in physical strength, I made for, up for in technique and the timing. And my speed under the bar was what gave me the advantage yeah and and again to say i mean you go through some more of the terminology we won't discuss it here but for the listener um you kind of deconstruct this idea of the double knee bend uh this concept of triple extension and i thought it was really great um it changed the way that i looked at the lifts and i won't use that terminology anymore because i certainly did use it of course first pull second pull so i'm going to switch to first phase second phase um also, when you talked about technique in the book, I really liked um, the inclusion of the CrossFit um, because it is a different animal. I mean, they're doing the lifts, but they're doing them at speed sometimes. And I thought your book was really good for CrossFitters because their technique really does break down quickly. And some of the cues you gave them, I, I also see these in your Instagram posts because you do go to CrossFit boxes and things like that. But I thought that was quite new as well in your book. Um, and touching on the idea of speed, you were very clear about the first phase being a certain speed and the second phase being, you know, hitting it full. Yeah. So if you look at a, a top lifter lifting a heavy weight or anybody lifting a maximum weight, the speed that the bar comes off the floor is not going to be quick. When you're lifting a dead weight and trying to get it moving, for me anyway, it certainly was never fast. So what I'm doing when I'm coaching is trying to replicate the timing and the tempo of the lift 
to be exact for when the weight gets to heavy, when the weight gets heavy and, and near maximal lift. So I talk about the first phase of a lift, so from the floor to mid-thigh being relatively slow. And then I talk about from mid-thigh upwards, that explosion up and dropping under being lightning fast. Now, the reason I talk and I use those terms is because I'm trying to exaggerate and trying to get the lifter to emphasize acceleration when the bar passes the knee and, and reaches mid-thigh. That's where all the power is generated. And that's where we need a massive emphasis on explosion. By getting somebody to think about being slow at the start actually gives them time to come off the floor in a more controlled way. So they have time to think about the positions and, and make sure that by the time they pass their knees, they're in a good position, ready to impart their force powerfully. The reality is when a lifter is more experienced and competing at a, a higher level, I don't use the terminology slow anymore. I use the terminology a positive leg drive because when the weight gets heavy, the speed is going to be dictated by how heavy the weight is anyway. So all I'm doing on the lighter weights with, with people on my seminars is trying to get them to differentiate where the acceleration and the speed should be. Yeah, and you sort of gave it, you said like if one is the slow and four is the fast, it's nothing in between. You go from the one to the four. Yeah, that's, that's the aim. That's the intention. And the reason being is to try and get that maximum explosion and don't get me wrong you, you alluded to uh, the fact that I'm working with a lot of crossfitters without crossfit our sport would be dead so it's, yeah. it's thanks to crossfit that our sport has been revitalized and we've got so many more people lifting weights but there are a lot of things that I see in crossfit that I think if only they could do it a little bit better technically spend that time getting to grips with the technique then one that the positions will hold out better when they when they start to get fatigued and subsequently will reduce the risk of injury. That's primarily what I'm trying to get across. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And if they have the technique in the beginning, they won't fatigue as quickly. Well, hopefully, yeah, that's, that's the aim. It kind of depends because when I'm coaching CrossFitters, I'll teach them... <laughs> <laughs> I hear someone there. That's the, that, that's the dog going crazy at me because someone has come to the door. This is the reality of doing, uh, doing one of these. I can't control who it was. No, no, don't worry about it. Just give me two seconds. Hang on. Okay. It it adds a you know a nice change for the listener. Hey, come here, buddy. <laughs> there we are. Christmas, isn't there? Got deliveries coming. There we are. David, what was the question again? Uh, no, you were just finishing up talking <laughs> about the CrossFitters and all that. Um, so we we touched on it. Um, the other thing I liked about your book, the change in terminology. The other thing I really liked is. In, in a, you know, you compare your book, let's say, to like the weightlifting encyclopedia. I mean, that's, you know, that's like a textbook. And your book is more like a novel, but you cover so much. I mean, you cover mental toughness, you cover competition, doping, equipment. I mean, I thought it was a great book for beginners, a great book for coaches, a great book. I mean, I've been lifting for 20 years and I was getting my eyes opened. But I thought maybe you talked about technique already. Can you tell me a little bit about the competition section of the book? Or, I mean, I, I really felt like you took me through the competition through your eyes. Yeah, I guess through, through social media, I get so many people contact me these days and, and ask, you know, well, I want to do a competition, but I'm not sure what it involves. I'm not sure what to expect. Um, I have people saying that, you know, I'm so nervous and, 
what I try to do here is give that information to somebody who wants to compete, who is nervous about competing, who hasn't done a competition before. So when they get to competition, if they've read this chapter in the book, it pretty much walks you through it. And I'm hoping as well that the more experienced lifter out there who maybe gets a call up for international, do they know what the difference is? Do they understand uh, how to deal with jet lag? Do they understand uh, what to expect when they arrive at an airport? Because I remember my first international competition and that was a different ball game again. So this isn't really beneficial to uh, an experienced international athlete. But for any coach who is, is new to the sport, for anybody who is uh, lifting with the hope of competing one day, this hopefully will put those anxieties at bay and give you a bit of reassurance and, and know what to expect going into competition. And I've also done something similar in terms of videos on Instagram. I did it as uh, on a story, a recent competition I went to. And I'm going to put those into a highlights reel so that, again, anybody who... Uh, is looking to compete can watch those and gain that same kind of uh, advice uh, and I thought too I mean I was never an elite lifter so I was never tested but I mean you, you described it in detail and and how you know there is someone standing there and you've got to you know basically pee in a cup um, oh, and I thought wow that really you know what's yeah. that yeah I, I mean for anybody who is actively competing, it doesn't matter what level you compete at, by simply registering and affiliating with a governing body and turning up at a competition, you agree to abide by the competition rules, and one of which is that you compete uh, clean, i.e. no drug abuse. And I think there is a huge underestimation that maybe because you're not at a decent level, that doesn't mean you, you don't get drug tested. It's not just the elite that get tested. Anybody can be drug tested. So I think it's about raising people's awareness that do you realize when you agree to enter a competition that you, you sign a piece of paper that says, yeah, I agree to be tested. And on competition day, should um, a drug tester uh, call you for uh, a test, then again, I talk through the step-by-steps of, of what to expect and what that involves. Because again, if, if you're thrown in at that on, on the competition day, um, it can be a whole new experience. And, and um, in, I guess in some ways, quite a frightening one if you don't know uh, that you, you could uh, come up against it. Yeah, that's what I felt. I mean, I was like, wow, shocked. Because, yeah, you hear, so, you know, yeah, you get tested, yeah. But to, to have you take someone through it it's like yeah this is it's it's very invasive and it's very you know it is you don't know it isn't it's yes you've got to pee in a pot with somebody watching but i guess the reason i'm drawing people's awareness to this is because as you know just a regular gym goer who wants to rock up and do a competition here and there you need to be careful of what medication you're taking so if you've got a cold or flu or you're not feeling great you can't just go out there and take any medication you want because those kind of things can show up in your system as a prohibited uh, drug, which could test positive and, and consequently result in you being banned from competition. So it's about being aware of uh, what you're doing outside of the sport if you want to compete and just making sure that you protect yourself. And then uh, the last thing we'll talk about with the book, 
talk to me about that whole no limits thing. It's this seems to be your, uh, you know, it c- comes in with mental toughness, and yeah, sure. that's something. When um, when I went to see Ken for my is my first training session with him, a new coach. We've done the introductions, and basically I've started training. And Ken sat on the side, and and for an hour and a half he said nothing. For an hour and a half he watched me lift, I did snatch, clean and jerk, and he just watched, said nothing. And and I'll be honest with you, I I started to feel like I've wasted my time. He's he's not coaching me. But he was just seeing how I moved and 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 how I was getting on. And at the end of that session, Ken asked me a question. He said, "What are your goals?" and quite confidently and maybe a little arrogantly I turned around and said well I want to go to the Olympic Games and he shrugged his shoulders he said what else now I'd been stuck on 75 kilo snatch and 92 clean and jerk for about 18 months and I said to Ken I really want to hit 80 I want to clean and jerk 100 and he shook his head he said nah he said they're not your goals and I looked at him and I said, well, yes, they are. You just asked me a question. I've just answered you. Uh-huh. And again, he shook his head and he said, no. He said, the first lesson I'm going to teach you. And I guess this, this applies to anybody, anybody who's listening to this or anybody who reads the book, is that you can do anything you want, but you first got to believe that you can, that you have no limits. And what Ken was trying to tell me was, yeah, you've set 80 and you've set 100 as targets, but don't make those the limiting factor to how far you can progress. Just use those as stepping stones to go on and achieve even bigger and even better things. And six months after I'd worked with Ken, um, he was killed in a car crash. And I had to make a decision. Do I go to Ken's funeral or do I go to the World Junior Championships to compete? And that's what we've been working towards. So I went and I competed. And lo and behold, I, I snatched 80, clean and jerked 100. And I came away with a medal from that competition. But I came away with more than that. I came away with the, the self-belief that that was just the start. That was just a stepping stone. And I guess I've taken that no limits attitude throughout the rest of my career. Awesome. Awesome and inspiring. Um, okay, Michaela, um, how can people, being the holiday season, how can people get their hands on the book for themselves or as a gift? Yeah, sure. So we've got a few days left now before um, deadlines for Christmas uh, orders, but you can follow the link on my Instagram bio. That will take you straight to be able to place an order. Uh, if you're not on Instagram, you can go onto my website, www.powerposition.co.uk, and there is a link on there, again, which will take you straight to the link. And we do ship internationally. So wherever you are in the world, you can get your hands on the copy. Um, it's not on ebooks or anything like that. It's not on Amazon. Um, we're just doing it as a small venture at the moment. So, uh, yeah, it has to be through one of those links. Okay, very good. And the twins are coming. What else is coming in your future in the weightlifting? Goodness me, yeah. As I said, life is about to change come the middle of March. I think um, everything's being turned on its head. So I've got no camps um, in in March and April, but hopefully still a bit of commentary with Europeans in April. And yeah, watch this space for, for more camps, potentially more road trips 
And we've got something up our sleeve as well due to be launched in January. Uh, for those of you that are interested in learning a little bit more about programming, whether that be for yourself as a lifter or for a coach, uh, if you're a coach that wants to improve your knowledge um, for those that you're working with, watch this space. That will be released hopefully in January. Okay, super. Well, Michaela, thanks for coming on again. No worries. Thank you for having and, me. And we look forward to talking to you in the new year. Great stuff. Okay, Michaela, then thank you very much, and we'll talk again soon. Great stuff. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.